You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. Hey. And JT English. Hey. And on today's episode, we're also joined by Dr. Greg Allison. Hi. Hey, Dr. Allison is here, professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a pastor at Sojourn Church East in Kentucky and the author of many books, including Strangers and Sojourners, Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine, Roman Catholic Theology and Evangelical Assessment, and I mean, others as well, uh, and a forthcoming book on the Holy Spirit entitled The Holy Spirit in the Pe- Theology for the People of God series. We hope Hope you enjoy our discussion with Dr. Allison. All right. Well, here we are. We're here with JT, with Jen, and with Dr. Greg Allison. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you here. So my first question for you is I want all the dirt on JT. He was one of your students. So how bad was that dissertation? <laughs> well, the dirt is not only... Is he my favorite student, but he is my best student. Oh, oh no. wow. I met him in the hallway and gave him a 20 for that. <laughs> Thank you. I can be bought. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Dr. No. Allison, that, that's the answer of one who is more pure in heart than Jen and I. Because yeah. we, were, we were waiting for you yeah. to drop the hammer on him. I'm so crushed right now. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, I, I, I wish that I had been his friend whenever he was doing his doctoral work because I would have had so much fodder to just, you know, troll you on you could have been my friend if you would have finished your phd oh but this is true something happened this is true um (laughs) i uh decided to plant a church and leave that phd program unfortunately did not finish the race set before me but i will for faith you will in christ i'm gonna make it to the end your hand on that plow it's true yeah not grow weary and doing good well dr allison we're glad to have you here truly thank you in from kentucky dr allison is a professor uh, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where JT is a graduate. I'm a graduate, though not as far into the system. Uh, also, Dr. Allison's a pastor at Sojourn Church. He's the author of many books, including a forthcoming book on the Holy Spirit. Yes. Entitled The, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Wow, right there. Theology for the People of God. Perfect. Oh, nice. Right. So just right there on the nose. Let people know this yeah. is what it's about. That's what it's How about. How long is it? 550 pages. There it is. Yeah, That's just, a lot of pages. It's a lot of pages. Yeah. It is. <laughs> It is. And I it, only wrote half of it, though. Okay. All right. The first half is by Andreas Kostenberger. He does every verse in the Old Testament okay. and every verse in the New Testament on the Holy Spirit, okay. and he explains okay. those verses. Okay. And then I get the second half, systematic theology, okay. who is the Holy Spirit, what does he do, and with some historical theology. Okay. So it's a dual So it's kind of broken up as a biblical theology and a systematic theology. That's the whole series, biblical theology okay. and systematic theology, oh, okay. bringing them together. Nice. So I can refer back to his material in biblical theology mm-hmm. as I'm doing my systematic Did theology. Did he write first? And he, then, oh, my goodness, yes. Okay. <laughs> he was done a year in advance. <laughs> so I've he never, doesn't have any hobbies. Just one, just one long weekend for Dr. Kostenberger. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> a bunch of coffee and water and just yeah. went through yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're glad to have you here talking about the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We've actually had Dr. Allison on before. Yes. Um, you guys it was remember? a really good episode. It was. We got so much feedback on that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Positive mm-hmm. feedback. You were just talking about your kids. Yeah. And my kids, that was one of their favorite episodes was where they, yeah, they had a ton of Catholic friends and they were trying yeah. to reconcile what do their friends believe with what they believe. And it was a really helpful podcast. So I've got another book coming out maybe in a year, year and a half, mm-hmm. 40 questions about Roman Catholicism. Oh, wow. Okay. So it'll be, if they have any particular questions, okay, they nice. just look it up and there's the answer. Okay. Well, I'm curious. Have you watched uh, the movie Two Popes? I have not. Oh. 
but I do have Man, Netflix. I, just, I wish you I had. Watch it. I would I have loved to have yeah. heard your thoughts on I it. I have heard that it's not historically accurate. But I, I would just love to hear your thoughts even on how they okay. dialogue with each other. I don't really, it's a movie. I'll okay. let it be a movie, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I watched it on Sunday. It was, it was good. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, you're right about the history. It's it's very dramatized. Yeah. It's a sure, dramatized sure. version, but sure. it was yeah. It was really a, a good t- uh, insight, I would say, into the weight of ministry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was way more um, applicable than mm-hmm. I would have expected watching. Yeah. I'm not crying. About, you're crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. There are some moments in it, and so th- that that would be your third book on Roman Catholicism, correct? Because you have That's Roman correct. Catholic theology and Evangelical Assessment. Yes. Then you wrote... Um, I'm the like, Unfinished Re- Reformation. Yes, Unfinished yep. Reformation. And then yep. this one, 40 and Questions. One, yep. Wow. Okay. Keep going back to that well. Right. <laughs> Just dig- <laughs> digging it deep. It is hard to phrase it in ways I haven't already said it before. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the publishers, are willing to they're going to make it happen. Yeah. They'll make it happen. Yeah. Well, and I think you're most... Uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong on this... The, the books that have been most influential on me are actually not those books. Those are great books. Sure. But in terms of the questions I've asked, your historical theology book yeah. Oh, yeah. was hugely influential for me. And then Sojourners and Strangers, your book on the doctrine of the church in the yeah. uh, evangelical theology series. Yeah. My elder yeah. candidates have to read it. before they... Sojourners and Strangers. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, I, I prep them ahead of time. And they, they don't love me more after <laughs> having forced them to read it. But they're helped by it. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the link, the link, they're like, oh, my goodness, what are you having us do here? Um, but every single time they come out of it, and they're just so. I, listen, I'm telling you, if you're interested in questions of the local church and just what we you know, we often call doctrine of church ecclesiology, strangers and sojourners is a seminal work. You need you, you need to read it. You got to read it. So um, we are tremendously grateful uh, for your presence here. Thank you for being here, Dr. Allison. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit. And so let's just begin with this question um, for our audience. It'd be good to start kind of on the the bottom shelf here. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? So personally, he's the person of the Trinity who indwells me, who indwells you, who indwells our church, and who renders the presence of the triune God. Hmm. Okay, let's let's parse that out a little bit. He, so personally, he's the person of God. Mm-hmm. Third person Third. of the Trinity. Why, why do we make those distinctions? So somebody might hear, I was about to ask you, when we say, oh, you know, he's the third person of the Godhead or third person of the Trinity. Why do we, why, why first, second, third like that? We don't mean he's inferior okay. to the first and second. He okay. isn't in third place, sure. right? <laughs> right. He's not junior God, right? right? But there's an order with the three persons of the Trinity, it begins with the Father, the first person, the initiator. Right. All actions, all works are through the Son, who's mm-hmm. the second person, right? And then they are perfected by the third person, who's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, so he is the third – the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who – and then you said indwells me. Yes. Indwells you, indwells us as Christians. And corporately as the church. Okay. Yep. So I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. Jen is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then your church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So used in two different ways. Me and JT mm-hmm. got left out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time, Dr. Elson. Um, so so, in the, so you're, you're wanting to uh, make it clear that it's not just that the Holy Spirit indwells us individually, but corporately, corporately. as well. So Paul will say in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, and right. then he'll list activities 
that transpire among Christians in the church. Mm -hmm. There's worship, there's fellowship, there's thanksgiving, there's deference to one another, and all those are community realities that are born out when we're filled with the Spirit individually and as a church. Okay. That's good. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who indwells us individually and corporately, and from that indwelling produces within us individually and corporately some some realities that shape us and that are formative and that that go beyond us. His fruit, uh, growth in our church, right. the unity of the church, yeah. power for evangelism, sure. guidance, okay. all of that. All of that. So beyond indwelling, mm-hmm. what does the Holy Spirit do? He speaks. Okay. So we have scripture is God-breathed. And in Second Peter three twenty one, Peter particularly associates the inspiration of Scripture with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Spirit was the one who was guiding the biblical authors as they spoke from God. Right. When we see in Scripture the Holy Spirit falling upon people, when He's outpoured on people, they more than likely speak. They may praise. They may bless. They may prophesy. Speak in tongues. Preach the gospel whatever, in scores of occasions in Scripture, the Holy Spirit falls upon someone and that person speaks. So one of the major works of the Spirit is speaking God's revelation to Mm -hmm. us. Okay. So a major work of the Spirit is God's speech. And that's what you ended up writing your dissertation on, right? Yep. Yep. So Dr. Where did I get it from? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He helped me think a lot about this, about uh, just what does it mean for not just the Spirit to be a speaker, but for the triune God to be a speaker. Right. And what it looks like for the Father to speak, the Son to speak, and the Spirit to speak inseparably as one action. Okay. And that's the flow from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the Spirit, to the Spirit to us. That's right. And so a lot of the things that I thought through or tried to think through was like, the, the texts you just mentioned were major texts for my dissertation, but also thinking about Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Upper Room Discourse in John 15 and 16 in particular, where he talks about the spirit of truth is coming, the helpers, I, I will go and send you the helper, the paraclete. But what the spirit does is he does not speak on his own authority or he doesn't speak out of turn. It, Jesus says whatever he hears he will speak. And so one of the one of the dangers in Trinitarian theology is separating the mission or the activity or the work of any one of the persons. And often when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, it's pretty hard to separate the work of the Father from the work of the Son. That seems at least in my experience, people tend to tie those two pretty closely. But sometimes the work of the Spirit can be spoken as if it's separate mm-hmm. from the work of the Father. So there's actually Pentecostal theologians arguing for that. We were talking about that earlier today. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we – some people detach the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the ministry of Christ, right? And so the Holy Spirit is kind of off on his own. Mm-hmm. He may appear in other religions. Mm. He may appear in your conscience. Mm. And so there's this notion that the Holy Spirit can give grace that's not necessarily connected, may even be strongly disconnected from Christ and his mission. So you've got two works – one of the Son, one of the Spirit, and that gets really funky. In the New Testament, it's clear that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the, the historical reality that de- that was developed uh, for the church was the filioque clause, which connects the mission of the Son and the, or the, the, the sending of the Son and the procession of the Spirit. That The Spirit does not just proceed from the Father, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. And when you're saying eternally, when we said pr- proceed, mm-hmm. that gets into a little bit of that dis- 
distinction, right, between the three persons. That we, we often say the Father is eternally unbegotten, mm-hmm. the Son is eternally begotten, and the Spirit is eternally proceeding. Right? Yes. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So before there's a universe, so imagine the world doesn't exist, there's only God. Does God still exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, apart from the roles that they carry out in creation? Yes, there's still a distinction. The Father, unbegotten, he doesn't proceed. The Son, who's eternally generated. The Holy Spirit, who eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. So those are the three relational distinctions, and those are eternal. Those are eternal. Okay. So this eternally proceeding third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, indwells us individually and corporately, producing within us fruits, power and prayer and evangelism, unity in the church. Um, he, he not only indwells us, but he reveals God to us yep. by speaking. And he speaks. So just an application of that. Sure. So when JT stands up to preach, I'm going to bet that you pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you, mm-hmm. anoint mm-hmm. your words, give you the right words to oh, say. Yeah. When Jen is teaching, she's doing the same thing. She's bathing her teaching beforehand in prayer, asking the Spirit to give her wisdom, sure. mm-hmm. the right words, a listening ear so that she can say the right things. And I think that's the proper application, putting ourselves under the control of the Spirit who will speak through us and give us the words. Now, is that speech of the Spirit going to be different, though, than the actual text that they would read? Uh, it would be a preach a sermon or a teaching on the text of Scripture, wouldn't it? Right. So Jen is expositing a passage of Scripture. Sure. Uh, she could just read the Bible, which would be the very right. words of the Holy Spirit. It's always a all... safe way to teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always a safe way to teach, <laughs> yeah, right? Safe bet. Um, but if she's got an hour to teach and she reads the Bible for 10 minutes, she's Someone got 50 minutes left on. over. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. So she's speaking in accordance with, in, right. right, in line sure. with Scripture, explaining the meaning and uh, sharing application and things like that. Sure. Is the Spirit doing something different, though, in the sermon than he has already done in Scripture? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. So there's, there's uh, theologians are divided on this yeah. in terms of how they would, would think through this. It's certainly different, uh-huh. right? I mean, part of, let's just say, let's just use the example. If I'm, if I'm asking God, the Holy Spirit, before I speak, to speak through me, to use the text, but also to use my words, which would be t- two different kinds of words, right? So 2 Timothy 3.16, that this text is inspired or theoph, it's God-breathed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's different than the words that I'm giving, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily make them less of the Spirit's words. They're just coming through me a different vehicle than the Word of God. But it doesn't mean that he could use it less. He could still – I mean, we've all been in a sure, in a, in a, in a uh, sermon or heard a, a, a podcast, for sure. example, and you could say, God used your words to uh, convict me of my sin, mm-hmm. to sometimes bring new life, to regenerate, to – uh, to empower me, to embolden me, to give me courage in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the normative way I think he speaks is through the text. Sure. While at the same time, he, he certainly can speak through any number of things, sure. uh, including human speech. So, so if I, uh, the Spirit's activity is maybe not of the same kind, but it's of similar kinds. Would that be? Yes, I think that's good. Okay. Yeah. So we would say scripture's inspired. Right. When we um, prepare a sermon or teaching, something like that, when we're studying the Bible, meditating sure. on the Bible, we're saying, Holy Spirit, illumine Illuminate. me. Right. Yes. Illumination. Yes, illumination. Illumine mark. my mind so I rightly interpret the Bible and soften my heart 
so that I apply it by obedience, faith, whatever the response is that's appropriate. Well, and I think probably just speaking as a teacher, I think of that illumination work as being uh, when you see a connection between passages or like particularly in the work of biblical theology where you see a pattern that is throughout the scriptures that's a connection so it's all inspired but to make those connections between different passages i believe is that illuminating work that's happening so i'm not adding anything to what mm-hmm. the spirit has done but i'm making some connections the spirit is illuminating by connecting different portions of the text that's one of the maybe the most obvious ways that i see that happening in teaching where i feel the the least like my own thinking might get in there and and mess something up yeah and then just to add to that yeah so students in my theology classes have an opportunity to read jen's books on the attributes of god Mm -hmm. so those are steeped in scripture but they're also her own words of explanation Mm -hmm. sure and inevitably students will come up and say i was so blessed by what i read in jen's book right Right, it's not the same as scripture. Sure. Right, but there's this coordination between the two, between scripture and then what she's teaching. Hmm. So I love that. So uh, faithful teaching is able to faithful teaching, uh, faithful being that which is in accordance with scripture and empowered by the Spirit. Um, that kind of faithful teaching brings with it. Uh, it, it applies maybe what is intrinsic to the word of God mm-hmm. to the heart. It, yep. it, it, it doesn't become that by itself. So if the word of God is authoritative and sufficient and good and nourishing and fully inspired, infallible in all that it says, the teacher's voice doesn't become that. But it, when faithful, it, it applies those realities. I think that's good. Okay. Yeah. And the amazing thing is the Lord God uses mm-hmm. men and women right. mm-hmm. to preach and teach his word, yeah. mm-hmm. right? He could have done it some other way. Sure. Right? Some weeks I think he should have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True confessions. Yeah. We've all been there. Well, and that's kind of – I mean there's an early church heresy called docetism, which, which uh, was afraid that – of God actually working through humanity yeah. in the humanity of Christ. Yeah. And here you have a similar example, though this we are not the hypostatic union. God continues to work through humanity. That, that divine speech, different than Islam, for example, doesn't just fall from the heavens by exactly. itself. It actually is embodied in mm-hmm. people, and God uses broken vessels and vessels like us mm. to, to communicate his word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, but it is important, I think, it, just to highlight, I don't want to go too far down that path. It, it, conversations like this, there's always a ditch on both sides, right? It's yeah. either going to be too human or too divine. And yeah. so we're, we're saying it's both human and divine. Yep. But this kind of speech in particular, we are not, we are certainly not, unequivocally, we are not putting it on the same par as God's authoritative no. word in No, but it's the kind of thing that reinforces or reiterates um, through some creative means what has already been spoken through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So like means. even like yeah. – so like when uh, when Kyle uses a really good illustration for union with Christ, mm-hmm. um, he's he's employing an illustration that is not like – it's not God-breathed, but it, it illumines – it helps illumine what is God-breathed yeah. in a way that's faithful to the text. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I've got a billion selfish questions, but I'm going to stick to the script here because I get, now that we're on it, I'm like, oh man, for me, I, no, for Doctor Allison. So, so when you when you're teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and and you've been how long have you been teaching? 
25 years. 25 years. <clears throat> so countless students that you've taught on, on this doctrine, on a range of doctrines, but on, certainly on this one as well. What's the chief confusion you find among students? When, mm-hmm. when you begin to walk them through this doctrine, what kind of questions or what are the things that you sense them wrestling with in a paper or that student that grabs you after the lecture and they're like, but Dr. Allison, what do you feel like is the big confusion among students when they start thinking about the doctrine of the spirit? Two. Okay. One is ignorance. Okay. Let's just be frank. A lot of churches do not preach and teach well about the Holy Spirit. Right. A lot of our churches are binatarian, father and hmm. son, and we miss the third person, the Trinitarian. Hmm. So there's a lot of confusion. How did we get – when you say that, <clears throat> like what any, brought us there? any sense mm-hmm. of how we got into that quandary? Uh which ties into the second okay. reason. <laughs> You're like, I'm getting there, man. Students are fearful of the Holy okay. Spirit, right? Okay. Uh, for several reasons. If we yield our life to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, we lose control, and we as Americans hate to lose control. Mm. And so we're fearful that the Holy Spirit might lead us, prompt us mm. to do something we really don't want to do. Mm. So there's fear of losing control and submitting to God's leadership. And secondly, a lot of people have experienced the craziness of spirit-empowering movements Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Pentecostal charismatic extremes. Sure. And they go, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want to have anything to do with him, so I'd just rather remain ignorant. Okay. And churches then hit the pause button. We're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about God the Father, God the Son, and the Bible, but we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So... There's a fear, um, a, a fear that is, in one sense, a real fear of what surrender to the Lord looks like, which is yes. that the spirit, that when we surrender to a spirit-led life in Christ, we begin with, I am not Lord, Jesus is Lord, and the spirit takes us in, in that direction, which means surrendering control. And then an, another fear, which maybe is more sociocultural with practice, how different traditions have practiced the spirit or different movements have practiced the spirit where there has been – a uh, maybe an over-functioning mm-hmm. view or uh, a hyperbolic view, or I don't know what the right word, an extreme view mm-hmm. uh, uh, of the work of the Spirit that has not left a good taste in the mouth of traditions, denominations, churches, or individual believers. That's right. Okay. Yep. Um, when, when, how would I know, like, and we, we, we're not a podcast that names names. Uh, but if, if you can, if you if you want to, you can. It's not a, that's not what I'm fishing for, though. How would I know? How would I be able to distinguish between an extreme, like like somebody doing something with a doctrine of the Holy Spirit that makes me uncomfortable because it's calling me to surrender to the Lord, and something that makes me uncomfortable because it's bad, right? That's a, I mean. We can all jump into that, but I mean, if these if these are the well, no, I can. I, I'm sitting yeah. here thinking how um, when when we talk about being uh, indwelt by the Spirit and and enlivened and empowered by the Spirit, sometimes people think, well, okay, I know what demon possession looks like in the Bible. So does Spirit filled? Is that like just demon possession turned on its head? Am I just like? Um, totally overtaken by the spirit and I lose all sense of self. Like, I think that's one of the things that people, when you talk about fear associated yeah. is it's like, what happens to me in, in mm-hmm. all of this? Mm-hmm. Am, am I just overtaken by the spirit in such a way that I'm almost like a puppet? Right. Right. So how do you discern? So the spirit will always prompt us to do things in accordance with scripture, 
right? Never against Scripture. Okay. He's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. He's always going to move us towards greater conformity to the image of Christ. Again. As JT was just talking about a couple minutes ago, uh, the Holy Spirit will exalt Christ, so it won't be about exalting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, The Spirit will lead us missionally to engage our neighbors with the good news, Mm. to do short-term, long-term mission trips, things like that. Um, The Holy Spirit will produce his fruit. Right. So we're looking for that. Right. And the fruit of the Spirit is not extreme, weird stuff, is it? Right? No. Gentleness, self-control. Exactly. Yeah. And then if we have people in our community who look at us and say, wow, that seems like it's an extreme thing that you're attributing to the Holy Spirit, and this seems really out of step with Scripture and what we know of you, that's probably a good warning. (laughs) Let's hit the pause button and say – is this really from the Holy Spirit? Or sure, not? kind of that sense of like your conduct isn't even honorable among the Gentiles. Exactly. That, yeah. yeah. If that's the case, then sure. it's not from the Holy Spirit. No, I, see, I think that even right there, because I get this question pastorally mm-hmm. a lot, because people are often um, sandwiched between both fears that you mentioned, between the fear of really what does it mean to follow Christ as Lord and be filled with the Spirit, which comes with sacrifice and surrender and lack of control. And this fear of, well, how do I know that this is healthy practice? Mm-hmm. Or how do I know that this leader who's discipling me is is discipling me in the way of healthy practice, of what it means to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ? And because of that, there's that genuine question, like you just mentioned, among students and among parishioners and congregants of what does it actually look like? And I think that, that what you just laid out of, does it honor Christ? Is it faithful? Is the Spirit's direction faithful with the witness of Scripture and embodying the fruits of the Spirit? Is it leading towards holiness or away from holiness? Does it continue to advance the good name of Yahweh uh, and of Jesus among the world and among our community? I think those are crucial things. But these are very general principles, which is – I like them. Yeah. I like that they are that. But is the conclusion we would draw from that that the Spirit can be functioning healthily in different churches and that different churches would look very different in the way the Spirit is functioning? Or would we expect a uniformity of, of the function of the Spirit I think we would churches? expect differences. Even in Acts 19, 20, and 21 – the Holy Spirit seems to be leading Paul in a certain direction, but then Paul's friends, out of concern for him, say by the Holy Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem, don't mm-hmm. do this thing. And so – and Luke doesn't resolve the tension of the Spirit leading Paul and the Spirit leading Paul's friends. I think it's instructive for us that sometimes we just – it's hard to discern the leading of the Spirit, and at times we will disagree, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. The Christian life is messy. And uh, even in this area of the Spirit's guidance. Would you encourage people, like if you, you're you pastoring at Sojourn and somebody comes to you and says, the Spirit said to me, would you encourage them over time as they pursue maturity and holiness in Christ to maybe temper their speech a little bit and say things like, I don't know, but as I've been praying for you or as the Lord brought you to mind, I sensed this Spirit saying this or this could be from the Spirit. I think that's really good. Uh, when a person says, the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this, mm-hmm. it's almost like a trump card mm-hmm. that wins the game all the time. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. what's Jen going to say to that? What are you going to say to <laughs> right. that? Right. Right. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit didn't say, right? Jen actually has a few follow-up statements for that. Others might not. So, yes, yeah. temper our uh, speech. Mm-hmm. And then we've all had this experience, right? Oh, Someone yes. says, you know, 
for example, at Sojourn, a couple comes up to us, the Holy Spirit is directing us to go to China. That's mm-hmm. great. We've got an 18-month mission school. We can assess you. We can help you raise support and all that. And they go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We're going right now. Mm. We go, no, then we don't believe the Holy Spirit is leading you mm. to do this. It's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to bless your mission and get behind it. Mm-hmm. They go anyway, right? Yeah. Less than a year later, right, we get an email. The Holy Spirit's leading us back to Louisville. And it's like <laughs> the Holy Spirit never led you to China in the first place, yeah. and now he's leading you to Louisville. But it's a disaster because you didn't listen to the voice of other people. You mm-hmm. were untempered, right, mm-hmm. in this whole approach. And do you think, too, you know, there's the – we've talked about how there's a fear of loss of control if yes. I submit myself to the work of the Spirit. But is there also a glorification of loss of control if I submit myself to the Spirit? Explain in other that. words, yeah. uh, if the more counterintuitive the call is, the more it must be from the Holy Spirit. Like in the case of these, this right, the yeah. example that you've given. It's like, like the, more the, costly, the crazier yes, it sounds, yes, yes. the more likely it is to be the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? He's crazy. <laughs> Easy. Right. <laughs> and yet so much of what the New Testament is doing with regard to the Holy Spirit is bringing order to that conversation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, we, we know people who say, if it's something I hate to do, it uh-huh. must be the will of yeah. the Lord. Right. Go, yeah. no. It's like, what? There's a lot of guilt and shame built yeah. in all that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it is weird, right? In the Old Testament, you've got Saul. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and he gets down and dirty in the mm-hmm. mud. And he prophesies. Mm-hmm. And Samson, my mm-hmm. goodness, there's savagery. He kills people empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing today. But I am saying uh, we the Spirit may lead us in unexpected ways, but it will never be against Scripture, not bearing holiness and fruit mm-hmm. of Christ-likeness. Everything has to hold together, doesn't it? Yeah. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Are we going to ask Dr. Allison the question? I was thinking about around? asking him, but, I, but I'm afraid because I've got some great questions for him here. I know, but I we, think our listeners are going to think that we have okay, tried we, to dodge oh, that. Dr. Oh. Dr. Allison, we did, not get, we did not give you any heads up on this question, and it is one that is rife of division between JT and Jen and myself. And so if you Hang need on, to, we need to ask this in a way that isn't leading. Would you like to ask the question, JT? Well, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'll, and well, you, have to be, you have to be nice about it. So just so you'll know, Dr. Allison, we have caused great consternation among our listeners because we have had an on.
ongoing, we're going to call it a conversation. Sure, of course, conversation. <laughs> about the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. JT, would you like yeah, to pick the, the question. question? You go for it. We trust you. You're badgering me right you're, now. You're, no, <laughs> I'm trying to be gracious. You're a brother in Christ. We assume, we assume the, the best about your motives. Okay. Mm-hmm. I actually think we are saying closer to the same yes, thing yes. Than, we, than we have left. But let's yes. find out. We, we, have, we have overblown the, the distinction. Can I actually just give the positions <laughs> and, and see <laughs> See yeah, because I want to make sure that yeah that sure. we would that we would mm-hmm. rather that we than would agree ask the with question. one another's yes. positions because yep. the question it's hard to ask the question sure mm-hmm. so when we when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, the position that I have been trying to advocate for is that the Holy Spirit since the creation of the world and as you've already articulated before the creation of the world is participating in the life of the Triune God but in the economy he is sent to indwell believers at Pentecost. That does not mean that he's inactive in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that that he does not give us faith. And like, I think Abraham believes in faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. I think that he could help us live lives of sanctification in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit in the presence of God was located in the tabernacle, uh, was not located in all people. That was a change in the economy of salvation at Pentecost, where the temple is no longer where we go to worship, but the church is indwelt both corporately and individually, and that acts – and my, my proof text for this is Jesus says in John, the Holy Spirit has not yet been given. That's my argument. I'll let you guys give your argument. No, essentially what, what I'm what, – my, my position – oh, great. Greg, oh Dr. Allison just said I'm with him. Okay, thank um, you for joining us for okay. knowing faith. <laughs> It sounds like it's two against two now. Yeah. Well, it it, it certainly is. Although I do feel As like the, the visitor, I get two votes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. well, that and I, I'm, I'm so telling you, if I, have, got, if I wasn't going to bring it up, if I have to go toe to toe with Dr. Allison, I'm going to cede the road. It's a guarantee. Uh, but essentially, what we have said is that it's not a matter that the work of the Spirit, that uh, the change at Pentecost is not a change of kind, but a change of degree. That it's that it's fullness. That what we're receiving, what we receive at Pentecost, is not that the Spirit now in dwells us is that the spirit now indwells us with the revelation of all who Christ is. That he, he brings with us a new knowledge. I've even been building on I it. I am just smiling so big over here. This is so I, fun. I, I actually <laughs> w- would put it this way, that what happened, that what, what is unique that happens at Pentecost is that the spirit is given to the church. Beyond. So, beyond. so, so, what, I'm, so what I'm arguing is that in the Old Testament, um, that the believers were indwelt is individuals that 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 in other words that Abraham's um, experience I don't know if experience is the right word Abraham's so. status of being justified and sanctified uh, would have functioned the same way according yes. to the role of the Spirit as it would for any believer of any time and that his salvation would have been sealed in the same manner yes but that it was so what happens at Pentecost is a giving of the Spirit to the church yeah, corporate being built up as living stones. So I would agree that Abraham was justified by faith, uh-huh. which is prompted by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The patriarchs, the people under the old covenant were saved as we are by God's grace, uh-huh. belief in his promise. Uh, they're saved, they're sanctified, they're purified, they worship the Lord, they love the law of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Without being indwelt? Without being indwelt. Boom goes the dynamite. How, how can that <laughs> because, be? <laughs> because in, in, okay. because Jesus in John 14, he's assuring his disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you, mm. but he will be in you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there will be rivers of living water flowing from you. Mm. 
And so I do take the indwelling. Repent in sackcloth and ashes. No, no, it's 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 the disciples. He's he's comforting them. Right, you're not unknown to the spirit, and you know the spirit Mm -hmm. because he's working with you. Obviously, you're my disciples. You're following me and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But he's looking for. a, a dwelling, a new kind of dwelling. The church! In the individuals. Church, and as the Spirit <laughs> is poured out, what pops up? The church. But so would that mean, then, uh, how was the salvation of Abraham kept? Was it, it uh, wasn't. Certainly by the Holy Spirit. Yes. But, but, but apart from his indwelling, though, yeah. I, I think about Paul in, in Romans that which is the flesh is of the flesh, that which is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And does that put an Old Testament believer in like. The middle, like how is how is he held? I mean, what is his his heart has been replaced? What sealed that work? So all of what we've just been describing right. is the positive realities of old covenant believers. We can't imagine that taking place apart from the work of the Spirit. Right. That would be a theological conclusion we would draw because there's not much about that in the Old Testament. Right. The Holy Spirit, according to the Old Testament, falls on prophets and judges and kings, artists and things like that. He can be withdrawn. For example, King Saul. Um, David is afraid that the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn from him. Sure. So there's there's this reality. The the focus of the Holy Spirit, according in, in the Old Testament, is... He's working in primarily among the leaders right. of the people of Israel, but we would draw a theological conclusion. This doesn't mean that the pew potatoes, right, the people sitting sure. in the pews, <laughs> right, were were not engaged with the Spirit. Sure. They have to be. Right. Yeah, but, but I do, really do agree with JT that there was a mm, huge, can we that clip? huge uh, change at Pentecost. And it, was, it is one of the most, right, one of the most important events in the history of the world. But and, and, uh, no and, one, I'm not disputing and, that. Yes, We're disputing yes. what happened, and not yes. a matter of degree, but a matter of kind. No, this is a you guys different are work this. of the Holy Spirit. Like, because, but but when we hear all of the examples you just gave in the Old Testament, those are, I mean, the, David being afraid that the Holy Spirit would be removed from him, which is a reference to Saul, right? Exactly. Yep. Oh and yeah, he's Saul, got that in his mind. Yep. But but Saul is 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 characterized by unbelief, so he's actually empowered by the spirit but is not a believer but like just he's cast where off where does the spirit dwell in the old testament i among the people of god <laughs> he enjoy, like the, the clearest <laughs> the clearest thing has to it's the temple well of course and then the biggest change in redemptive history is now you are the temple that is like that is is cataclysmically different in old covenant and new covenant it doesn't make any difference where you worship. You don't have to worship on Mount sure. Gerizim. Like it, that is the point. You don't have point. to worship right. in the temple because of Jerusalem. Because all y'all are the temple. No. <laughs> but so are you individually. Yes, that is the good news of the new covenant, that the spirit is going to be poured out into our hearts, mm-hmm. that we will be indwelt and regenerated by him. And it means that as believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're required, right, to gather with other believers in a local church in which then the Holy Spirit will dwell in our midst. Hmm. I am so. We, you guys want to just wrap up the podcast? No, now? I just want to know: Does anyone agree with Kyle and me? Like anyone uh, out there in the universe? We're going to find somebody. Oh, there, there, are, there are lots of people in the universe. Yes, they agree with you. Yes, oh, well. absolutely. They're called Presbyterians. They're called Presbyterians. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's we're back true. To that. It's true. 
Oh my gosh! If you could just oh see, if you could see how happy these two faces are. Half the room is joyful. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I, I really am. I'm grateful that JT has found an ally. I only weep that the ally is stronger than the combined powers of Jin and myself by a long by shot. a long shot. Yeah. Um, and you need to know. I wish you could have heard these. They have been badgering me for weeks about this, and I've been the only person standing up for the Bible. Oh <laughs> and, my goodness! And for what Jesus says to his disciples. Oh, Lord, be near to us, producing me the fruit of the spirit of self control. I, I will buy a permanent ticket here to thank you. Right? I'll buy it for you. Hey, I'm, I'm telling you, if you want right. to join the hosting staff, you got an open invitation, Doctor Allison. Well, okay, thank you for I, that. Was I, you guys? Audience never sees this, but we we do give guests a little bit of prep so that they're not fully blind. This was, this was not so. that. So yeah. thank you for going there with us. But whether we agree or disagree on this subject, for us as the church. Yes. The expectation is the Holy Spirit who indwells in us renders the presence of the triune God, and we are to yield yes. to the presence of God in our life and in our church yeah. mm-hmm. on a moment-by-moment basis. Mm-hmm. We're to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be guided by the Spirit, and that's what we all agree on. Yes, Amen. and yeah. that is important yes, it to is. state. To land. Uh, um, i got a couple more questions for you. How did the doctrine of the Holy Spirit develop from early church fathers through medieval period into Reformation? And obviously, that's the whole scope of the history of the church. So what are maybe some broad strokes that you would give in terms of church fathers receive this from the word, they begin to work through it, medieval church into the Reformation? What are the broad movements? So early on in the early church, there were denials of the full deity of the Son, Denials called Arianism, or you mentioned Docetism and things like that. So there was a lot of heresies about the sun. And so the early church trained its attention on Christology, the doctrine of the person and work of of the sun. Attached to that, a bit later on, uh, there were people denying the full deity of the Holy Spirit. And so after the church worked on the doctrine of Christ, it began to work on the doctrine of of the Holy Spirit, affirming that the Spirit is fully God, okay. and He's a person and not just a presence or a power or a force. He's the creator. He's the giver of life. He regenerates. He guides. He sanctifies. All like that. Is there a moment or a confessional document that really puts those cards on the table? Like When's the first volley for that, moving the attention? Uh, nothing in terms of historic creeds. We've got the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed of 381. But wouldn't you say, I could be misremembering, I mean, you wrote the book on this, but I believe, if I remember right, the 325 Creed did not have the clause on the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. That's all it said. And then in 381, 381. it's it's established and developed a bit more. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, and he spoke by the prophets. Okay. So that's an extended uh, expression about the deity of the Holy Spirit. Still, it's it's not sure. as much about the Son, but the, we call them the Cappadocian Fathers yes. in the 4th century. They really worked on and did it in an excellent way, the deity, full deity of the Holy Spirit. Right. Following that, in the, the, the later part of the early church, and then obviously in the medieval period, the Middle Ages, the Holy Spirit largely became attached to the church. Yes. Right, so uh, the the church is the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Uh, You have to come to the church to be saved. Mm. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who is powerfully working through the sacraments, through the hierarchy, things like that. Fast forward to the Reformation, and we've got what I think is an unprecedented balance between an emphasis on the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Uh, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, just was a magnificent emphasis. You you have to hold these together. Calvin on the Holy Spirit is my favorite. It's just phenomenal. He's called a theologian of the Holy Spirit, right? And the whole third book of the Institutes, it starts off with uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the benefits of the Father Mm -hmm. that he gave to the Son. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's incredibly good. So, but there's this balance that I don't think we've achieved since. Mm-hmm. It, 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 we emphasize uh, the Word of God, so preaching, right? right. Mm-hmm. And we emphasize the Holy Spirit. In Luther's words, you can't understand a bit of Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit. Right. And the Holy Spirit, right, is teaching us uh, about the Word and, and, and all. So, there's this beautiful balance and that was kind of the development. Yeah. One of the things that I think Calvin does is there's a lot of – and I understand what the movements are trying to do, but they'll talk about word and spirit as if as if they can could be separated. And I'm, I don't think they can. I think yeah. we need to think of word and spirit as two sides of the same coin, that we're not ta- – like the word is the word of the spirit, yep. and the spirit is the one who's inspiring and illuminating the words of God. Yeah. So to not think of them as dis- – yes, they're distinct, but to not think of them as things – could rightly be separated. Exactly. So just take regeneration, Mm -hmm. being born again. John 3, being born again, being regenerated is the work of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. First Peter, the end of chapter 1, we're born again by the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So it's the Spirit of God who regenerates. He's the divine person at work, and he's using the instrument of the Word of God. That's good. And and these two have to be held together. Otherwise, you don't have regeneration. Right. Right. That's good. Well, so... Last question for you. The last century or so, through charismatic renewal movements, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has occasionally, probably more than occasionally, been involved in some intramural skirmishes between Christians. So particularly around the spiritual gifts, specifically what are sometimes called the sign or the miraculous gifts. My question for you is how can our view of the gifts of the Spirit be strengthened by deeper reflection on the person of the Spirit? So if, if, if there's these contention and division and skirmishes, some of which there's legitimate back and forth and brotherly and sisterly fraternal disagreement and agreement. But how can we strengthen our view on the gifts by maybe nourishing a, a malnourished view of the actual person of the spirit? So before the gifts, I think we need to focus on the Holy Spirit as the gift. Mm. So Jesus in Luke eleven thirteen talks about we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children. Yes. How much more will the heavenly Father give Holy the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit? That's mm-hmm. Luke's version of it mm-hmm. to those who ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would affirm that the greatest gift that the Father gives to those who follow the Son mm-hmm. is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And people go, oh, wait a second, not the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Notice how I've phrased it. The greatest gift that the Father gives to those who follow the Son. We already have that Mm -hmm. salvation Mm -hmm. gift. The greatest gift that he gives to those who are adopted into the Son Mm -hmm. is the Holy Spirit. He is that gift. And so we we, we focus on him as the gift before we look at the gifts that he gives. And we also need to understand that 
that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who is growing the church and multiplying the church, right? So there's, there's this maturity and there's this mission, and the Holy Spirit is the one doing that. So before we look at the, the gifts, we have to understand who the Holy Spirit is, what is he doing, and then we would expect him to lead us and guide us and use the gifts among us for maturing the church and multiplying it. Okay. So I, I think that's incredibly helpful because when we talk about the Holy Spirit merely as a giver of gifts, then we almost immediately reduce him to an instrument. Yep. Just like, right, like exactly. he's going to be the conduit with which we get these other better things. So another way I would phrase this is the Holy Spirit is not the potentiator of our agendas. A potentiator is a substance that enhances the effect of a drug. Hmm. So grapefruit uh, enhances the effect of oxycodone. Hmm. So my point is we do not set our agendas and develop our programs and then yep. say, Holy Spirit, come and bless this mess. Yep. We say, Holy Spirit, what are you leading us to do? What is your agenda, your will for our church? And as we then walk with you and collaborate with you, you are the one who effects maturity and multiplication mm -hmm. through us. Mm -hmm. It's a complete reversal of a mindset. Yeah. He, he's not at our beck and call. He's not a power that we're dispensing to others or using for personal growth and self-aggrandizement. It's right. not about that, right? right? He's about the maturity of the church and multiplication of the church. Mm -hmm. So let's get in step with him yeah. and receive his power and enablement to do what he wills. Hmm. That's good. That mm -hmm. is good. Wow. Hey, before we wrap up, can I ask one more question? Of course you can. It's actually for you too. Oh, boy. oh, oh my no. gosh. When are you guys going to say <laughs> you were you were right? I think it's time to have Lig Duncan back on the yeah, show. I what do you so. think? I think so. We had Dr. Duncan on here, and he was a great asset in that conversation. Uh, we lost the juice. Okay. Well, then yeah. you need to change denominations. Oh, my goodness. You know what? This is funny, though. I have been heavily influenced by covenantal theology, and mm -hmm. I'm realizing that's probably where this is. We all have. We've this all been very from, influenced right? by covenant theology, yeah, which is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just on this particular point, along with baptism, right? Mm -hmm. We disagree. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to have to think about that some. Yeah, me too. Hey, I just – one thing I want to say before before we wrap this one up. I'm just so grateful for you. Uh, if our listeners don't know this, we talked about he's, – he's a professor at Southern. But more than that, you're a, you're a great father, great husband. You're a churchman. You're a friend. You're a wonderful theologian. The reason I went to Southern, uh, and Southern, uh, we have a great partnership with Southern here at the Village and on the podcast, but the reason I went wasn't to go to Southern. It was to be more like you, and I'm grateful for the time and investment you made in my time there. Thank you. Those are very kind words. Thanks. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Dr. Allison. Thank you. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. Just a few quick things as we go. Dr. Allison has written many books. I just want to name two of them that I just think it's worth checking out. Uh, Strangers and Sojourners, again, Doctrine of the Church, Local Church Matters, Doctrine of the Church Throughout Scripture, you're going to have to look far and wide to find a better book on the doctrine of the church, Strangers and Sojourners. And then his forthcoming book on the topic we discussed today, The Holy Spirit, which is in the Theology for the People of God series. And that's forthcoming. That is releasing in May. 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 All right. See you next time. Grace and peace.